Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. What is the cost of your oil? Ask somebody near to me, what is the cost, near to you, what is the cost of your oil? And before, before we get into our primary text, I want to lay a little groundwork, some context. Maybe this is pretext and context. Jesus comes into a city called Capernaum. And when he gets there, Deacon Cunningham, a Gentile approaches him, a centurion. And he approaches him not for his need, but for the need of his servant. And he said, I don't want to trouble you, master, to come to my house. You don't need to come. Speak a word only. And Jesus marveled at his faith, and he called that great faith. He said, I haven't seen that kind of faith. No, not in Israel. So he leaves Capernaum, and he goes to a city named called Nain, N-A-I-N. Somebody say Nain. And when he, when he gets there, he enters the city, and he has a crowd of people, because everywhere he went, when they heard him come, he was coming, they were crowd. A crowd would gather. A crowd is gathering him, and as he's approaching, there's a crowd coming towards him. And it's a funeral procession. And it's a widow who only has one son. And Jesus knows that in that society at that time, a widow, which means she doesn't have her husband, and now her only son is dead, has no way of making a living. That's why the Bible says true religion and undefiled before God is to visit the widows and orphans in their distress. And so it is important that we care for the widows. But Jesus looks and it does something to him. He's moved with compassion. Everybody is weeping. And this mother is obviously hurt because of the loss of her son. She wasn't thinking about her future. She's just thinking about my baby is not here. Jesus stops and he touches the coffin. And just by touching the coffin, the young man raised up and he presented him to his mother. And the people obviously were like, what? Who is this? But at that time, Minister Baldy, John was in prison, John the Baptist. He sent his disciples and they're waiting their turn and they go through the crowd, Jesus, you got a minute? I need to holler at you about something. I'm trying to speak to everybody right now. <laughs> and he said, John sent us to you. He told us to ask you a question. You know he's in prison, right? You know Herod is about to take his head off, right? And you guys are close, right? Six months apart. It's your cousin, right? You know, remember his mother Elizabeth? And Mary, your mother, they're related, right? You that Jesus, right? Yes. He says, are you the Christ? Or do we look for another? 
And Jesus says to them, go tell John what you see. Tell him the dead are being raised. Blind eyes are being opened. The gospel is preached unto the poor. And then Jesus, being who he is, knew that his disciples would look down on John for not having faith because he had rebuked them many times. Oh, you of little faith. Why is you have no faith? It's like, look at your cousin John. He's panicking. So Jesus turned and said, man who is born of a woman, there is never been a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Of anyone who's been separated from the womb, John the Baptist is the greatest. So he was squashing that stuff. Don't you think just because John is worried about his life, that has nothing to do with his relationship with me. He did what he was supposed to do as the forerunner. His time is up, but now it's my time. And you will not think, not even speak. They didn't say it. And you know a word doesn't exist until it's spoken. But a thought is, exists before it's spoken. See, Jesus knows the thoughts of our heart. So some people think when you say all the right things, that makes you good. No, no, no. He knows the thoughts of your heart. You need to watch your thoughts because he's the one who searches the heart. Somebody say amen if you know what I'm talking about. He said, there's not been a prophet who's greater. Can I come a little bit closer? I won't come too close. But I want you to understand something. John the Baptist and all his ministry, preaching repentance, never did a miracle. Not one. Elijah and Elisha did many. But Jesus said, John is greater than them. What makes him greater? He was obedient. He only lived, the reason he's about to be put to death is because of obedience. Herod, this wasn't my plan, but I think somebody needs to understand this. Herod, the king, wanted to marry his brother Philip's wife. And they said, John's a prophet. Why don't you ask him? There's some people who will come to the pastor to co-sign stuff. Yeah, yeah. They know it's mess. But they're like, if you co-sign it, it's good. Because I guess they think, God going to get you if you do that. I hope nobody set me up like that. But here's the point. I don't want to digress. When Herod asked John, he said, no, you can't do that. That's unlawful to do. Herod got sad, but the one he wanted to marry had her, her daughter dance before him. And he put some grape juice that was fermented. Y'all know what fermented grape juice is? Yeah, yeah. You know what it is. And he watched her dance and it pleased her, pleased him. She said, what do you want? She went to her mother. He's going to give me anything I want. Tell him you want John the Baptist's head for telling the truth. Now he's at risk of dying. So do you understand why he went to Jesus? He's like, Jesus, you are the truth. I told the truth. Get me out of here. I promise you this. 
It's not written in the scripture, but knowing the Lord the way I do, that John was comforted when his disciples came back and told them what Jesus said, John was all right because he realized Herod's about to release me into eternity. I don't have to have locusts and I don't have to wear camel hair. All that stuff is over. My work is finished. I'm good. Now, in the crowd, there was a Pharisee. You following me so far? He comes from where? Capernaum. And he goes where? To Nain. And he's working the works of his father. Then John the Baptist's disciples ask him a question. But there's a man who's in the crowd who is of good reputation. He is spiritually high up, at least in the religious establishment. Got to be careful when I say spiritually high up because there's spiritual wickedness. Where? In high places. So he's a, he's a leader in the religious establishment. He's a Pharisee, has a nice home. He's like, this Jesus is pretty popular. So what he says is, you'll see in this text that we're about to open up. I won't tell you. Let's read it together. It's found in Luke chapter 7, and we're going to read verse 35, 36 through verse 50. And there's a couple things as we're reading the text together, I want to point out that I want you to pay close attention to so that as I get into the teaching, I'll be able to flow. Is that all right? Okay, Luke 7 and 36. This is right after he raised the widow's son. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. It was a good invitation. Jesus had been releasing virtue, hadn't eaten in a while. Nice invite. Next verse. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. Imagine if that's your description. Not a woman who's virtuous, not a woman who's beautiful, not a woman, a woman who is a sinner. Now, I want you to put this in your notes, a question. What is her name? What is her name? Who is a sinner when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house. Now, was she invited? But what does she know? That Jesus was there. You think she'd ever been there before? Do you think this guy would let her in his house? The only way she got access is because Jesus was there. I want somebody to know, I need you to hear this, doors will open up for you that would ordinarily be closed because Jesus is there. Take him everywhere you go. You'll get in places that you're not invited. You'll get in places where you're not welcome. They won't have a choice because Jesus is there. 
sat at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Not just any oil. It's got to be expensive. It's fragrant. It's like a perfume. So write this down. 2 Corinthians 2 and 15. Don't go there, but I'm going to tell you what it says. And no matter what translation, the word for fragrance is the same. Sometimes it might say perfume or sweet odor, but in that text, it says that we are to God the fragrance of Christ or a sweet aroma, sweet aroma. Do you know smells matter to God? That smells are real because sin is what? Stinks in his nostrils. But we are to God a sweet aroma, a sweet fragrance to those who are saved and to those who are perishing. So your oil, your oil, your spiritual oil is released in the presence of anyone that you encounter. Because you are, we are to God, the fragrance of Christ. It's his fragrance. He's sweet, I know. His fragrance is released. That's why the lesson on John is important. I want to practice righteousness so when it's released, it's not a stench. It's a sweet. And that even those who are perishing can discern it. You read that verse later. For those who have their phones, I know you already read it. That comes quicker than the cash app. That's all right. But that's what she was releasing in there. So I want you to get the spiritual significance of the oil. It was costly. It was expensive. And before I'm done, I hope you will understand what the cost of the oil means in the spirit. The cost of the oil. Go to verse 38. And stood at his feet behind him weeping. So she goes in, she's standing. Why would it say, Minister Norman, that she stood at his feet behind him? His feet are down here. She stood because her posture, she realized, I'm not like all these other haughty people around the table who think they're worthy of your presence. I haven't done anything good. See, they think they're good enough to be with Lord, I came here just because you're here. But I stood, she stood behind him weeping. He couldn't see her, but he could hear her. He felt her presence more than all those other people who had something to say, who felt important. She stood behind him weeping. It's good to know that he hears our cry and he sees our tears. She stood behind him weeping. And now you see a semicolon for the young people in here and for those who watch on the stream. When you see a comma, that's to pause. When you see a period, that's the end of a sentence and you start, or a paragraph, you start a new one. 
When you see a semicolon, it's a transition of thought. It's a transition of thought. I had a teacher once say, if you don't feel like ending your thought, putting a period, use a semicolon, because then you don't have to use uppercase, you just transition to a new thought. Are you there? So Luke, being a physician, wants us to know she stood behind him weeding, weeping, but now she's transitioning. So now, she began to wash his feet with her tears. What's her posture now? She was standing behind him, weeping. Now she's down low where his feet are, and she's washing them, her tears, and wiping them with her hair. In both instances, she's not looking at him. She's like the publican who beat his chest next to the Pharisee, and the Pharisees say, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like this sinner. I pay my tithes out of all that I have. I fast twice a week. I, I do all these things. But the other man, the publican, beat his chest, said, Lord, I'm not worthy to look at you. I'm not worthy to be in your sight. Have mercy on me. Jesus said, that man went to his house justified and not the other. What I love about Jesus, he's telling that story to Pharisees because he wants them to understand, you can't get to where you want to go without me. You need me. What's the message? We all need a savior. I want you to know in the presence of all these witnesses, I need a savior. I didn't stop needing him the day I got saved. I need him now. We always have to realize that we need him. That's why we worship him. That's why we bow down to him because he alone is worthy. The day you think you're worthy is the day you're sitting around that table like those individuals. I'd rather be her on my knees washing his feet, weeping, letting my tears wash him. I have no ability to do it with my hair, but my tears will do. Because our tears, Carlotta, are in a bottle. Every tear is in a bottle. Not one falls that he doesn't see. Not one tear falls. I want you to know he sees you. He hears you. Even if you're behind him, he hears you. When you bow down, he sees you. He allowed her to touch him. Nobody in that, in that house would let her touch them. Not one of them. But she gets to touch Jesus. I want you to know you matter to him. Other people might look down on you. They might look down on you. They don't, do you know her name yet? Still don't know her name, right? All we know about her is that she is a sinner and she's a worshiper. She's a worshiper. She, from the time she got in that house, she didn't introduce herself. She didn't say, Simon, I know I'm not on the guest list. She said, Simon, what you think doesn't matter. I came to see Jesus. I came here for one reason. I just want to get to his feet. I want to sit at his feet. If I can just get, I don't need no food. I don't need all that fancy stuff you're cooking. I don't even want that. In fact, 
Our strongest sense is smell. She drowned out the smell of the food with that fragrance. It filled the room. Lord, fill the room with your fragrance. Fill the sanctuary with your fragrance. The sweetness of your fragrance. And wiped them with the hair of her head, her tears she wiped. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Next verse. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself. He spoke to himself saying, this man, if he was a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Leave that up for a minute. That is a religious spirit. So if he knew, now, think about this. He just saw Jesus raise the dead. It's not like he heard about it. He was there. He saw a mother weeping over her son. Jesus touched the coffin. He didn't even touch the dead body. He touched the coffin and life. You would think that that would convince you that in him there's life. In him there's And I want him. He's still hard-hearted. And he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he's not a prophet. He's more than a prophet. He's more than a prophet. All the prophets speak of him. If the prophets could be in that room, they would wash his feet. He's more than a prophet. Next verse. And Jesus answered and said to him. Jesus answered him. He said it to himself. He didn't say it out loud. A word doesn't exist until it's spoken. He knows the very thoughts of our hearts. That's why he can correct us when we're thinking wrong. He can correct us so that we can do right. Lord, I had a thought that wasn't right. But because of your presence, I'm able to do right. Because you corrected me. And Jesus answered and said to him, what's his name? We know his name. What's her name? Not, not yet. <laughs> Simon, I have something to say to you. So now when Simon talks, he says the right thing. So he said, teacher, say it. Rabbi, say it. Say it. Go to the next one. That's funny, huh? <laughs> you think about, see, if we could see the thoughts of people's hearts, but you know how we see people's hearts? The word is a discerner of the heart. That's why you want to be in the word and out of the, the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But it has to come out of your mouth for me to discern your heart. Jesus discerned the heart and he didn't say anything. Luke was clear. He said this to himself. Am I right? 
Did y'all see that? He said it to himself, but now Jesus is answering him audibly because he wants everybody to learn. He said there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Next verse. And when they had nothing which which to repay, he's, he's describing all of humanity. He's describing everyone who came from the womb. All have a debt that they can't pay. It doesn't matter how much. So I want you to, don't take the text down. I want you to imagine all of us are out on a ship. Let's say a boat, a big boat to fit all of us. And the boat sinks, a yacht. We're on Joy Samples' yacht. And the yacht sinks. And we are a thousand miles from shore. But some of us are good swimmers. And we've been in, <laughs> you say, we ain't that good. I'm going somewhere with the story. But some of us can swim one mile, some five miles, some are triathletes. They can swim 10 miles. Which of us is safe? None. We're a thousand miles from shore. Your 10 miles won't help you. What Jesus is trying to get them to see is that none of you are safe. But the one who can swim the least, the one who can't swim at all, and recognizes it and cries out, Jesus is saying, the master of the sea will hear your despairing cry. All right, now we can go through the rest of the text. And when they had nothing to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Now, I want you to know, he said, I forgave them both. One was a big sinner. One was a little sinner. But they both came and said, I can't pay. They recognized, I can't pay this debt. But you paid the price. You're able to forgive me. He freely did what? Forgave them both. Now, let's go to the next verse. I wonder if Simon got this. Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Next verse. Then he turned to the woman. And said to Simon, he turned to the woman who Simon wouldn't look at. The woman who didn't want to look at Jesus. She's still down on her knees at his feet. But Jesus turned to her. And look at what he says. Do you see this woman? That's a message right there. I want you to know that there's some people that you might feel invisible in their presence. Jesus sees you. And there comes a point where he's going to make sure that they see you. This is Simon's house. He said, do you see this woman? I know you regard her as a sinner. I know what you thought about her. 
I heard the thoughts of your heart, even questioning me if I were a prophet. Well, I got news for you. I'm more than a prophet, and I'm your salvation. I hope you know that all your religious acts can't save you. You need some denary. You need forgiveness because you can't pay this price. I will freely forgive them both. But now he says, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. In other words, I could have did it myself if you would have given it to me. You didn't even offer me water. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her, the hair of her head. That's personal. See, this is the most intimate type of worship. She was engaged in worship. It was her tears. It was her hair. It's not some, was, did anybody sing? Did anybody play? Sometimes we think worship is music. Music is a part of it. It's a good part of it because music has something in it that you can't see, but you can feel. I heard a person, there's a spirit. Somebody said that's why when Saul wanted to kill David, the Bible says the evil spirit was in him. David played the harp, calmed him right down. You can't see a note when Tim plays the organ, but you can feel it. Tim, you ought to hit the organ right now. That was your, that was your moment. When, but you can feel it. See, there's something that's released, and it's a spirit. I promise you, you won't see the notes. Even if you can read music, you can't see it. This woman had, there are scholars who say, this was the most intimate worship in all the Bible. David the psalmist couldn't compare it to this. And he was a man after God's own heart. But this kind of worship pleases God. And so Jesus was using her as an illustration for the man who felt he was so important. Jesus, if I invite you to my house, you come. Here's the lesson I learned as I was studying this. It's not enough to just invite him. It's not enough because the one who he looked down on as a sinner was the one that Jesus lifted up in his own house, not him. If we're not teachable, even though we're sitting at the table with him, we, don't, we haven't received him. He didn't receive Jesus. How do you know he haven't received him? He's questioning who he is. This woman knew who Jesus was. She didn't say a word. Has she spoken a word? Nothing. Nothing. And the thoughts of her heart are pure. She's just worshiping. Everybody around the table talking about her. She don't even notice that. When you worship, you don't notice your haters. Your haters don't matter. They can't touch you because it's just you and him in an intimate place. You can't have low self-esteem in his presence because he takes that away. Because he'll say to him, do you see this woman? Look at her. Pick up your face from that plate and look at her. She matters. 
Mm. Hit that organ, Tim. Can you see a note? But what's being released? It touches your spirit. But it also touches a dangerous part, your soul. That's why there's something called soul music. Keep playing, Tim. And there's music that is soulish. And there's music that is spiritual. Can you discern the difference between spiritual music and soulish music? Every note, every part of music releases a spirit. Every spirit isn't good. See, that's why we come together. That's why we come together in the house of God to worship him in what? In spirit and in truth. So every timbrel, every organ has to release that which pleases him. And then as his people, we need to be like this unnamed woman. It wasn't important for her to have, her only reputation was that she was a sinner. But Jesus recognized her. Jesus knew her. And he said, look at her. I'm a person who, because of the circumstances that I grew up, had chronic low self-esteem. Always felt that I'm, I'm not worthy to be in this room. And there are times that God had to speak to me in the midst of my anxiety when I'm ready to leave to say, son, you don't fit here. You don't fit in here, but you belong here. You belong here. And that releases me to do my best stuff. They would never know that I'm afraid. They would never know that I feel small in my own eyes. The people of God felt like grasshoppers in their own eyes when they saw the giants. But there's something about Jesus that fortifies us, that builds us up, that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't know what you think you see, but I know I matter to him. I know that he's got my back. And I know that if you don't do right by me, he's going to take care of you. Hold your peace. Let the Lord fight your battles. Jesus talks about her washing his feet with her hair. Next verse. Are we still reading text? This is all right. Is this method okay? Okay. He said, you gave me no kiss. You weren't intimate with me. You're distant. You're distant. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. That tells you she wasn't interested in what was on the menu. Some people come into his presence for the wrong stuff. They want a new car. They want a bigger house. They want a different type of groceries. Hmm. I don't want beans, I want shrimp. Lord, can you give me some shrimp?
I promise you, there's something better that we access when we worship him. Verse 46. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Keep going. Let's get through this. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, her sins, her sins. What about Simon's sins? Simon doesn't see himself as a sinner. He sees her as a sinner. But Jesus is trying to teach him something. Which are many. He doesn't ignore it. He knows there are many. I know that. I knew that when she touched me. But Simon, I need to tell you something. The moment she touched me, she was clean. You can't touch me and be unclean. That's why the woman with the issue of blood, if she would have touched a mere mortal, they would have become unclean. But Jesus, there's something in him that's a cleansing flow. There's a cleansing flow. You ought to touch him. Touch him anywhere. Touch his feet. If you can just touch him, the hem of his garment, she touched the tassel, which was not even the actual garment. The tassel was attached to it. And that, immediately, she was cleansed. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she did what? But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. He's saying, your capacity to love, Simon, is little. This person came in your house, you didn't welcome them, you didn't do anything. I know she's an uninvited guest, but you showed no hospitality because you can only love little. What is the cost of your oil? Verse 48, let's get through these last three verses so I can... Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Verse 49, now the other people's hearts start to speak. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves. Why is everybody talking to themselves? When Jesus come around, people start talking to themselves. Come on, talk to me. They're, like, they're talking to themselves. Isn't that happening around the table? Simon and now those who sat around. Who is this? who even forgives sins. Verse 50, then Jesus doubles down. Then he said to the woman, he knows what they're thinking. He's like, I ain't got time for y'all. I'm about to release a captive. I'm about to set somebody free. I'm about to bring deliverance. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. What is the cost of your oil. What Jesus is saying is, those who have the most fragrant oil are the ones who've been given much, forgiven much. And those who've been forgiven much is because they have sinned much. I wanna speak to somebody now expressly because the devil will make you think that because you have been a big time sinner, you're unworthy to approach God this scripture shows that he's a liar. The only one who touched Jesus 
was the one whose sins were many. The only one who was forgiven that night was the one who loved much because she realized that I need deliverance. But if a person thinks that they don't need deliverance, they won't come to Jesus because they think they got it on their own. Remember in the Gospel of John, the ninth chapter, when Jesus said to those who excommunicated the man who had been blind from the synagogue, they asked a question. They said, is he talking about us also? Jesus is right there. They didn't ask him. They're asking each other, is he talking? He talking about us? He's like, do he know that we go to B'nai B'rith, the best synagogue in all of Jerusalem? Does he not know? And Jesus said, if you, I came for this person, this purpose, so that those who are blind would see, and those who see would be blind. He said, if you said you were blind, you would see. But because you say that you see, here's what he said, your sins remain. So he equated blindness with sin. I want you to read John chapter 9, beginning from the first verse when you go home today. These people here who are talking about her, do you know her name yet? You still don't know her name. She's known by the scholars as the unknown woman. What makes me rejoice about this is that you don't need a reputation to be known of him. It's more than a reputation. And what she did, and I'll talk more about it next week. We can't do it all today. She started a movement. Nobody knows her name, but it encouraged other women who were like that. See, there's something about your testimony, your oil, I want to talk to everybody whose oil is a premium. You have a lot of oil because your sins are many. There are people that when they hear your story of deliverance, it'll bring them out. See, a person with a little bit of oil that you can't hardly smell it because they're like, I've been saved all my life. I've been there. I never went. I don't, I don't talk bad. I don't fornicate. I don't go to the movies. I mean, they get really deep. I haven't sinned all week. I've been holy all week. Those kind of people run, don't walk, because they don't recognize their need for a Savior. But for those whose oil is fragrant, he gives you power to reach those who love. So don't pretend that you've always been a goody two-shoes because your story, remember the woman at the well? She ran and said, come see a man. That's how we ought to be running. We ought to tell our story so somebody can be delivered. This act caused something else to happen around all the cities. People were released because of her worship, because of her humility. And I promise you that even if people called her a sinner, she was able to say, not no more. I met Jesus. He sets me free. And you want to know something? Who the son sets free is free indeed. 
And I know you're still in bondage because of the way you think. Because if you encounter him, you wouldn't talk like that. You wouldn't act like that. Because the one who's forgiven much loves much. And remember John in, in chapter 3 and 9 said, there are two things, 3 and 10, there are two things. And one is that you love. Come on. And if you don't do that, then you need to get back in the pool and wash. You need to get back in the pool and wash. What is the cost of your oil? To everyone whose oil is costly, I don't want you to be ashamed. I want you to be bold. God wants you to be bold. God sent me here this morning to encourage you to say the more that you've been forgiven, the more capacity you have to love. For those who've been forgiven little, and those of us who perceive that we've been forgiven little, that means we really don't know ourselves because we take an account for what we think is wrong. I heard a person say, and then I want to tell one last story, personal story, but I heard a person say, I live a good moral life. I try to keep not just the Ten Commandments, but the other 603. This is a serious story, it's true. And I began to pray for this person, and I talked to a friend of mine and said, we wanna pray for this person's deliverance, because they would be powerful in the kingdom. So 613 laws, how do you monitor those each day? Who knows what they all are? There are 613 laws that if you break one, you're guilty of all of them. And there's someone who thinks that they could live a normal lifespan and do that without Jesus. The problem with their thinking that they don't realize is that Paul said it plain. He said, I don't know anything against myself, yet I'm not justified because I don't judge myself. God is judge. So if God is my judge, I've got to count on him. First his mercy and then him leading me and guiding me so I can stay clean. Because washing, you need, if you, if you just wash with water, just water, nothing else. You wash every day, just water, and you use nothing else, deep. How's that gonna work in 90 degree heat? Not too good, and how long? Not long, not long. You need some ingredients to help, some stuff that keeps you clean, that exfoliates the skin, that causes a fragrance to be released from your pores, so that when you come in the room, it's like, boy, she smelled good. Boy, he smelled good. Versus you walk in the room, everybody stop talking because they can't breathe. Everybody. It's like, why you got nothing to say? <laughs> I'm talking spiritual. I'm talking spiritual. When I open with my points about the things that might seem contradictory in scripture to a new believer. When I was a new believer and very zealous, I had two friends that I grew up with, dear friends, 
and they saw me on fire. But I was, I had a zeal towards God, but not according to knowledge because I was brand new. And they had become uh, a part of the FOI, the Fruit of Islam. And they would go, yeah, make it plain, it's, they're Muslims. So they were, they were with the FOI. They looked good, clean shaved, bow ties. I like their bean pies. I still get them bean pies today. I don't want Allah, but I want those bean pies. Man, they were good. And they had some fish sandwiches that had cheese on them. Oh, Lord. I'm thinking about that. That's good. It'll change your countenance. You look better when you eat that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So these are brothers that I grew up with. I love these dudes. And they were like, how, how you rock with that? It's like, don't you know that the scriptures contradict one another? I'm like, what do you talk about? And by then, I literally, I had read the whole Bible. I read the whole Bible in less than a year, but I didn't comprehend the scripture. And they said, well, you know the woman who was a, was a prostitute, who washed his feet? Well, in Luke, it said it happened in, um, in Simon's house, and we read that, right? In Mark, it said it was in the house of Lazarus. How can a, there's a contradiction, it's gotta be wrong. So I start thinking, I was like, yeah, but Jesus is real. <laughs> Jesus is real. Like, I didn't, I couldn't defend the faith. But here's the lesson. Even though they had what they thought was contradictory, I was rooted enough in him, it couldn't move me. I, st I ate the bean pies, but I didn't wear a bow tie. I didn't go to the masjid. I was not gonna be a five percenter or FOI, none of that stuff. I just kept growing in grace. But if I could talk to them now, I would let them know those are two different accounts. This woman is unnamed. The other woman, which we'll talk about next week, was Mary Magdalene, the sister of Lazarus. This happened in Jesus' second year of ministry. He ministered three years. Mary Magdalene's happened on a Wednesday. They put him on the trial on Thursday. They crucified him on Friday. It was like the day before this. See, now I know this. Why am I saying this to you? You don't have to know it all to be rooted in the faith. You be steadfast and unmovable. And in time, God will show you what you need to know. There are people out here who deny him, who have questions like Simon around the table in their hearts. If he is who he says he is, why does he associate with sinners? Because God loves the world. And he wants to reach them. And that's why we tell our story. Because our hearts are joined with God. We want to reach people. We want to see deliverance. There was only one person delivered that night. The person they looked down on, who they called a sinner. But the good news is that Jesus sees you. He knows all about you. You don't know the cost of my oil. You might look at a person and judge them, 
but you don't know the cost of their oil. And I want you to know, the more they're forgiven, the greater their capacity to love. That's why we ought to embrace people in our fellowship who come from hard places because they have the potential to be like Paul and to be like this unnamed woman who worshiped with purity. I said, you don't know the cost of my oil.
and filled my soul with the wonder of His touch. So now I'm giving back to Him all the praise He's worthy of. I've been forgiven, and that's why I I love Him so. his feet with my tears and dry them with my hand my hand you were there the night he found me you did not feel what I felt when he wrapped his loving arms around me the cost of the oil oh no you don't know the cost of my praise you don't know the cost not of the oil in my Everybody stand. Everybody stand. We've been focused on the cost of the oil, the hardships of her life and our lives. But there's another cost. The alabaster box that she had had a seal. And you break the seal. And once the seal is broken, the fragrance is released. You can't get it back in. And that was the most expensive, costly perfume. So not only was there a cost for her deliverance, but when you pour out your oil, it's a cost. It's a sacrifice. There is a cost to get the oil, and there's a cost to release, come on, to release the oil. I wish somebody would release their oil. Release your oil. It's not, it's not meant to stay in the container. Break the seal. Break the seal and release your oil. No, you don't know the cost of the oil. No, 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 you don't know the cost. And 
Father, I pray for all your people in this room and those on the live stream that today your fragrance would be released and that we would be mindful to break the seal so that the fragrance can be released for the deliverance of others. There are others who need oil. They need it because their sins are many. May they come into a recognition that they need you because you know they're many, but you forgave them. You forgive the little and the much. You're that kind of God. Would you reveal yourself so that we don't have to walk around with shame and the enemy who accuses us before God makes us feel guilt. Take it away, God. Take it away. Just like you did it for this nameless woman. She mattered to you. We matter to you. When we're invisible to the world, you say, look, look in our direction. See us. May we know that we're seen. Take away every invisible moment when people look past us, when people judge us for what we've done. Let them see what you've done because that's what lasts. What we've done is wiped away because of what you've done. Let that be our focus. Bring us into intimacy, God. Bring us into such intimacy with you that the distractions would no longer distract us. Do it. Do it for Rodney. Do it for all of us. This day is a day of release. Thank you for joining us in service today. We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.